welcome to the what the fuck is that podcast where we ask the age-old question of what the fuck is that i'm your host jess i'm jen and now it is officially official official according to our poll where everyone told me i was wrong christmas season we did a poll a couple weeks ago and if you missed it too bad i'll probably put it up or something similar up again but not even december yet dude okay i don't know what to tell you the poll doesn't lie so the poll on instagram was when is an acceptable time to put up your christmas tree i am very much in the i will put it up before thanksgiving thank you in december because the seasonal depression hit (laughs) it's bad and the tree just gives extra light the other option was after thanksgiving but like before December, that weird little week of no man's land. In December is the correct answer. It's wrong, but you're fine. Anyways, according to the poll, we are both wrong. <laughs> no. Most people said the no man's land week. The no man's <laughs> That's what I call this little weird week in between Thanksgiving and December is no man's land week. Okay. It's just like a haze... Of, like, some people are shopping and some people are still in food comas <laughs> and some people are decorating, but some people are like, like you for some fucking reason. Or all what? Bah humbug. Like, all bah humbug. You know my it. reasons. You can still enjoy pretty lights. Yeah, they're okay. Christmas time. <laughs> no, I have a real Christmas tree, dude. I've never had a real Christmas tree. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Yeah, they always get a real Christmas tree. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm super excited. I've never had a real Christmas tree. And so my mom uh, called me yesterday. And that's the first thing I say. As soon as I answer, I go, Mom, guess what? She goes, what? I go, we have a real Christmas tree. (laughs) It's the little things in life. I mean, I'm 27. I've never had a real Christmas tree. That's funny. Yeah, I honestly didn't. I've only done artificial trees. Yeah. Until then. Like, these are my in-laws that we're talking about. They always get a real Christmas tree. Yeah. But I have never had one. I've just had the artificial ones. But, like, I like my artificial one because the cost of trees keeps going up every year. And I just take my tree out of the box and it's all Gucci. Well, I was told that. I couldn't have a real Christmas tree because of my asthma as a kid. Oh. So that's the reason why we always had an artificial tree. Uh, But like dust. Well, my mom would clean it. Like it would get packed away. It would get packed away very carefully. Oh, okay. I see. And then like we'd take it out and the person who raised me would like fluff it out and kind of like dust it out a little bit oh okay i see yeah so it was very meticulous every year how this thing came out i gotcha okay well i mean i'm glad that we started with christmas and wholesome stuff because it's not it's not gonna stay that way not be wholesome yeah because uh in case you forgot this is a part two of the branch davidians we are getting into today You've already started on your soapbox earlier, so... It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. Um, I think we're just going to do another quick intro today because we have a lot to cover. Yeah. So if you like whatever the fuck this is, be sure to head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram is WTF is that pod. 
over there you will find the link to our link tree our link tree has the links to our spotify page our amazon wish list as well as our patreon if you would like to join our patreon and join the ranks of our mystic mentor level patron melanie you can do that over there we have so many fun little levels that you can join and everything helps us grow the podcast. Another great way to help us grow the podcast is to give us a like and review over on Spotify. That way you let the Spotify gods know that you like whatever we are doing over here and you think other fellow creepy people would also enjoy this too. The very best way to help us grow our podcast is to let other people know about our podcast. So share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with that weird dude that you see on the corner as you're walking to work and you just kind of like give each other the white people like hmm, and nod as you walk by and secretly try to make not make eye contact. You should just look at them and be like, hey, I found this really cool podcast called WTF is that podcast and I think you'd really like it and then just walk away and continue to eat your bagel. But yeah, so all of that can be found over on our Instagram, which again is WTF is that pod. And are you ready to get into this week's episode? Yeah, that became very specific. I know. <laughs> I kept looking over at you like, surely she will look at me <laughs> and crack at some point if I just keep going with the bit for long. <laughs> to be quite honest, I was a little distracted. It's <laughs> like if I just keep following with this bit. Maybe eventually she'll look at me as I stared into your soul. This is I how I was it. the whole time. I know, I could feel waiting. it. Waiting. <laughs> like, just filibustering over here. Love a good filibuster joke. <laughs> You're such a dumbass. Get into your story. Let's go. Hey, Jen. Hey, Jess. Have you ever heard of the Branch Davidians Part 2? What the fuck is the Branch Davidians part two? I'm so glad you asked because we're about to get into the second part of it. That intro was just so weird. Sorry. <laughs> she made me. It's very good. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay, so just to kind of recap from last week, because a week is a really long amount of time and I forgot what I had for breakfast yesterday. JK, it's been the hi- same hyperfixation food. Um, but here we are. Okay, so you let's You actually recap. eat breakfast? Yes, that's why it's a hyperfixation food, so that way I will eat breakfast. I don't eat breakfast. Okay, You're wrong. go ahead. Okay, so from last week. Yes. The Branch Davidians are a breakaway group of people run by people who were thrown out of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. It has had four different people who ran it before David Koresh, a.k.a. Vernon Howell, took over. The original breakaway from the Seventh-day Adventist Church took place in 1935, but the specific branch that we are talking about with the Branch Davidians and David Koresh broke away in 1955. Okay. By 1990, Koresh takes over after a massive power struggle... And changes his name from Vernon Howell to David Koresh. Uh, This is also a reminder that he married a 14-year-old at 25. So gross. So gross. What do you have in common with a 14-year-old at 25? Absolutely Absolutely nothing. nothing. Get out of my head. One more time for the people in the back. Absolutely Absolutely nothing. nothing. (laughs) That was very good. It was. (laughs) That wasn't even rehearsed. We just looked at each other and had deep eye contact. 
Prolong eye contact. Prolong eye contact. I mean, to be quite honest, it happens very often where we speak at the same time. So like I said earlier, the original breakup from the Seventh-day Adventist Church started in 1935 and this specific branch in 1955. So in other words, it is 55 years since the original breakaway and 35-ish years since this branch started to take power. It's really not that much older than us. Okay, but my thing is, like, these religions had been around for a long time, and no one said anything about them. Yeah. They weren't considered a cult. They weren't... They were just a group of people who had a specific religious belief. I mean, I'm sure some people thought that... Yeah, but I'm sure some people thought that they were crazy. Oh, I'm sure, but it's still one of those things where they weren't going... It was nothing malicious. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So with that in mind, it was only two years before the infamous Waco raid that they were considered a dangerous cult. Jeez. So they had gone all of this time just being people in the community and a religion where just they all lived on the same compound and that's how it was to two years before a huge raid on their compound that they are then considered a dangerous cult. That's insane. I think everyone at this point knows what the Waco raid kind of ended in, but there is a whole buildup of events that gets us there. Oh, yeah. So this is just a reminder of our trigger warning from last week. There are mentions of child abuse and child sexual abuse. Gross. Going on. And we'll explain. There is a reason why that we will explain later, but we'll get into all of this. So during the buildup to the Waco siege, there were claims of child abuse and sexual abuse against the community as a whole, but specifically David Koresh. There were three separate visits to the compound, and there was no evidence of child abuse found. But you also have to keep in mind, this is the 90s. Yeah. So, in Texas. So it was like the cops going out? Or CPS? Like CPS, but at the same time, the standard for what is child abuse, vastly different. Oh, yeah. Vastly different. So it was likely that they were still getting forms of corporal punishment. I'm sure. Whether that was considered abuse by the state in Texas in the 90s. Who's to say? Yeah. I don't know, but those were all like thrown out. In 1986, David said that he had a divine mandate for spiritual wives, specifically of young women and girls. Gross. By 1989, all women on the compound were considered his spiritual wives, and all men were to be celibate. Ew. So this included couples... Couples were split up and the men were put in a separate ward from the women. All of the women were expected to love and sleep with Koresh. Gross. Who they considered their god. Like a Jesus on earth. That is so disgusting. One of these spiritual wives was 12 years old. Oh, God. Okay, but here's the thing with what was going on at the time. 
they literally saw him as a second coming of Christ. They saw him as another reincarnate here to like restart a whole new world. So in their eyes, it was a considered an honor for their daughters to become a part of Koresh's spiritual wives. I just don't understand how someone could be so brainwashed to believe that. It's one of those things where people believe in their faith so much and they find somebody who is saying the things that they want to hear. We also have to keep in mind that a lot of the times these people who are running cults are, they're fantastic with words. I mean, yeah, that's fair. A lot of the research that I did on this was through the documentary on Netflix, which is Waco American Apocalypse. Yeah. It's very good. Okay, so here's what I like the best about that documentary. Mm Mm-hmm is that it has former Branch Davidian members who were very, very involved in the cult and still are Branch Davidian members. Yeah, they still very much believe in what they were taught there. And they still very much do not see what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. But then on the other side, you have the ATF members and the FBI agents who went through the same thing and the stress that they were going through. I just like it's a very good balance of the two and you see both sides of the story very clearly because it's such a mucked up thing in the end. Yeah. So back to where we were on this during that documentary, which again is Waco American Apocalypse on Netflix. Kathy Schroeder, who is a Branch Davidian member who ends up being arrested, Uh said that they believed you are considered an adult at 12 years old. So therefore, Koresh was not taking underage wives. He was not performing child sexual abuse because at the age of 12, that is when they were considered an adult. I don't like that. No. At 12, you're still playing with dolls. I mean, I didn't, but yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you're still doing little. Yeah, you're still a child. Yeah, you're still doing all these little kid things. It's not even somebody who would be in high school yet. Yeah. It's a whole... It's weird. It it is. It's really creepy. It's really unsettling to think that a grown man in his 30s, 40s, is taking 12-year-old children. children. Yeah. 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 It's one of those things, again, where it's like they are not understanding fully what you are saying to them to begin with. It makes my skin crawl. It's really gross and it's really weird. And the fact that he has had this constant, we see again and again, this constant fascination with young children. But I never see anywhere flat out call him a pedophile. Yeah. He is 100% a pedophile. He has shown pedophilic behaviors over and over and over again. It, it's gross. It's weird. So one might ask, well, Jess, why would one want so many wives? Do you want to know David Koresh's answer to why one would want so many wives? Not really, but I know you're going to tell me anyways. So So he wanted to father 24 children. These children would be raised in the community and would eventually serve as the 24 elders spoken of in the book of Revelation 
who would rule during the millennium. Okay, lunatic. So, because he was considering himself the second coming of Christ, he was then going to create with his own seed this 24... Gross. ...of elders. Yeah. No. It's it's just one of those things where I'm like, why? Why? By 1993, he had 17 children with eight women. Oh, my God. So, okay. So, let's figure out. So, that means he has his wife. Uh-huh. His 14-year-old wife that he had two children with because we know that's Cyrus and Star. Okay. So, that's one of the seven wives and... How many children is there? 17. So, that's 15 for seven wives. So, that means... That all the other wives also had about two kids each. One of them maybe had three. But like average, they all had about two kids. I don't like that. From David Koresh. I don't like that. Well, that's what he did. That's so unsettling. Mm -hmm. So the Branch Davidians did own guns because, again, we are in Texas. Right. In the 90s. Yeah. Everyone still has a gun in Texas. To this day, everyone owns a gun in Texas. That's just how it is. And Koresh and the other members of the Branch Davidians were involved in the legal selling of guns. But again, Texas. Yeah. Very normal thing. No no red flags, legal, everything's above board. Do you know how many expos they have like a month? Constantly. Constantly. Of gun shows? People lose their mind when one happens here like once every couple of months. This is constantly in texas literally every weekend there's a gun expo this is like a contested topic but there was supposedly some evidence that members were illegally converting semi-automatic weapons into fully automatic weapons which is like a big no-no a very big no-no yeah and they also didn't file the appropriate paperwork which makes me think that if you file the appropriate paperwork it's fine but like can we not that's still concerning There's no reason for that. Yeah. Zero reason. So it's because of these allegations that the ATF, which is the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Bureau, decided to essentially raid the compound on February 28th, 1993. So it was all based on allegations. Like they didn't have. Well, so this raid, it wasn't. It was a raid, but they were supposed to be serving a search and arrest warrant for Koresh and to find these guns. But they were going in with full tactical gear, like ready for a firefight. Yeah, that's my thing. Why would you go already on the defense to serve a paper where it seems like he maybe would have talked it out or like yeah if you just went up and were like hey man here's this we just want to know what's going on yeah especially since it's allegations it just very much feels like they wanted to get in on the compound and wanted her excuse oh yeah but you know here we are you want to know the funny thing that happened though what koresh was actually tipped off that this was gonna happen how so like i said the compound is kind of in a remote area it's really hard to find it's surrounded by a huge bunch of open land so unless you really know where you're going 
it's hard to find. Yeah. So at one point, a mailman saw the ATF agents wandering around and he goes, hey, what are you guys looking for? And so they tell them we're trying to find the Mount Carmel sender. And he kind of tells them what's up. Little did they know, he was a Branch Davidian member. Oh, gosh. Went to the compound and told Koresh everything. Wow. So when the ATF agents get there, they are ready to go in full tactical. Because, again, okay, what I want people to understand going into this whole thing is that this is in Texas. The Texas mindset of most people is this is mine. Fucking come and take it. Yeah, pretty much. It's always I don't want to say it's always shoot first, ask questions later, but the amount of bumper stickers and signs and just gift shop items that I have seen that says we don't use 911 here is remarkable. (laughs) That is not a thing that you would see in California. It's really not. Like, there's a huge difference. It's jarring coming from Texas to California as to how, like, I don't know. I don't want to say against firearms California is, but it's definitely a lot less known for firearms, obviously. Yeah, we definitely have a more conservative approach to what firearms should be. Yeah, no, as I'm pretty sure as soon as you're 18 in Texas, you can go ahead and register for a firearm and you can do it in like sports uh, and outdoor uh, stores like Bass Pro Shop Academy, which apparently y'all don't have in California. We don't. Um, so weird. I miss Academy. <laughs> but yeah, like Bass Pro Shop. Um, what's the other one? Uh uh cabela's there you go like stores like that you can just go up and register for a new firearm like buy it right then and there yeah it's definitely a culture shock but yeah i think that's the biggest thing that people need to remember while listening to this especially if you've never been in texas is the culture is very much of this is mine and that is yours and you're not going to take it away from me it's okay but it also makes sense Because it's the only state allowed to secede from the United States at any time. This is true. So because of this big Texas come and get it mentality, the people at Mount Carmel saw themselves in the right. There were these armed men coming up to their house for no reason with explosives, full tactical gear and guns shooting at them. I mean, not wrong. So... They, in their minds, were protecting their home and their God and their family. Okay, I'm not saying that it's correct. I'm just saying this is what was thought. So again, they're serving the search and arrest warrant for Koresh on the assumption that there are illegal weapons and explosives in the building. And this initial gun battle actually killed four ATF agents six Branch Davidian members, and Koresh was injured during the firefight. Eventually, they called it off on both sides, and the ATF agents retreated, and the chaos inside died down. 
At this point, they decide that they need to bring in negotiators, and so they bring in ATF negotiator Jim Cavanaugh. Cavanaugh and Koresh end up having this really good rapport with each other, and Cavanaugh convinces Koresh to allow children to start coming out. So that way they're not having to deal with all this, nothing's happening to them. For Koresh, everything was symbolic. He would only start releasing these children if his word was broadcast over the news and the radio. And then he started sending these children out two by two like Noah's animals. I don't like that. Because again, it's all so symbolic. It's all very weird. Everything he does. He's going to tie it back. very biblically based. Everything he does. Mind you, this initial firefight happened February 28th. We are now at March 1st. By this point, there have been 10 children released. And they... So, the system that they do to get these children out is that the children come out. They come to the tent where the negotiators are. They then put the children on the phone with Koresh and their parents to let them know that they are there and they are safe and they are then taken to like a children's home where all of the other children from the branch divisions are taken. Yeah. Understandably, it was really hard for these parents to allow their children to go out because Koresh had taught them for so long that the government was bad and wrong. It was going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. He had a prophecy that they would go down in a blaze of fire at the hands of the feds. Oh, jeez. Which, wait until we get to the end of it, because that is a highly prolific thing for him to prophesize early on. So yeah, I can understand if I've been told for so long, hey, these people are bad and awful. Okay, now go send your children to them. Yeah, it's terrifying. I can understand why they're having a hard time with that. Yeah. That's a lot to do, especially when you are not being asked about it. It's Koresh in there making the decisions on which children are going to go and you just have to let them. Yeah, you have no say over it. Because he is your God and you are doing God's will by protecting this man. So by March 2nd, two women and six children were released He had had his news and radio broadcast happen at this point, but now he is saying he wants a national broadcast on the Christian network, and then he will, like, hand himself over. I don't believe it for one second. (laughs) Okay, good, because he didn't. Yeah. So he, apparently he was getting ready to leave. And he was saying bye to everyone, and then God gave him a sign that said, no. Sure he did. to wait. Sure he did. So essentially, negotiators got played. Yeah, of course. Played. And they knew it, too. At this point, they're like, fuck, okay. So they ended up being able to get a surrounding view of the compound. And realized how much space it is to cross. Like, it's a huge compound. 
And from the farmhouse that they are at currently, they can see the front of the compound, but there is a whole other backside of the compound that they can't see at all. Right. It's this big, long, for people who haven't seen a picture of it, I'll put it up on the Instagram. But it's a big, long building that's flat that has a couple of protrusions out of it. But for the most part, it's a long, flat building. Yeah. So if you can't see on the other side of it, you're essentially not seeing half of the building. At this point, a hostage rescue negotiator team comes in and are trying to find a way to be able to get that vantage point on the backside of the building. Okay. They end up finding a little garage that's over there. And in the dead of night, they take armored vehicles, drive them as close as they can. Because mind you, Koresh has weapons that can pierce through these. Yeah. They have everything they need that if they decided to shoot at them, they would shoot at them. Oh, yeah. So get them as close as they can. And then these hostage negotiator, hostage rescue team members then bum rush it to this garage yeah, to hold up in there and have a view on the back. Mind you, FBI and ATF have no idea that this is happening because their negotiators have no idea that this is happening. They are being told in real time by Koresh and his people that they are watching this happen and the negotiators are just sitting there like, what is going on? Yeah, there is no communication there. Which is a constant. We will see a constant thing in this whole situation. The negotiators, literally in the documentary that I mentioned earlier, the Waco American Apocalypse, they had mentioned that they were just hoping Koresh would die from his wounds naturally. They were like, I, it would make it, but to be, let's be real, that would make it so much easier. It really would. You then don't have your God, your Messiah, giving you instructions. So at that point, you would just give up. Yep. One would think. You'd think. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? At that point, they are just starting to call anyone who has any relation to anyone inside this compound. They're calling family. They're calling ex-members of the Branch Davidians. Anyone that anyone would know there. Okay. However, they are not letting any third parties in or giving them any information. The biggest component of this was the mother of a Branch Davidian member named David Thibodeau. And she was very adamant. She wanted to try to be able to talk with negotiators to see if they could talk to their loved ones and convince them to come out, convince David to come out. Yeah literally anything and the agencies were very against letting these third party people in or giving them any information at all. So earlier we had mentioned all these kids that were coming out. Three of the children that had come out had belonged to Kathy Schroeder and she was considered one of Koresh's inside people. She was in the inner circle of people in David Koresh's world. At one point during this documentary, she said she was handed a grenade and told if they get into the building that she was to pull the pen. And she was in a room of four or five women because Koresh knew that she would be the only one that would do it. Dude, that's crazy. Could you imagine being handed this and being like, I know you'll do it? Yeah. Like, no. Wild. 
So eventually they use her youngest son against her because they were sending videos of the kids to the Branch Davidian members to show them like, hey, these are your kids. Like you need to come out so that way you can care for them and love them. And they used the youngest against her. In a video he is seen on the floor, he just has this morose look on his face. And they're like, see, your son needs you. Like, just come out because your son needs you. Well, because, okay, so if I'm remembering correctly, her youngest son was David Koresh's. But her two older children were with her ex, who he went and claimed custody of them when they were released exactly so then he ended up being there all by himself in this group home yeah so they're like just come out kathy like you can take care of your son your son needs you and all this stuff she comes out and she's immediately arrested immediately which was the wrong way to handle that again the branch davidian members are going to see this and they're like absolutely not i'm not coming out now i don't want to get arrested yeah no, that was definitely the wrong way to handle it. They could have at least waited to, like, formally arrest her or uh, put in an arrest warrant until after everyone was out of the compound safely. Or something. Literally, anything is better than that. Yeah. I just think tensions were so high and her being in Carisha's inner circle. Yeah, that's true. They were like, Let's just get it out of the way now. So eventually, Koresh again is then saying that they would all come out. On March 21st, he starts letting out adults. But then the HRT decides, which again is the hostage rescue team, then takes their armored cars and crushes all of the cars that are on the compound, including... David Crush's prized possession, which was his car. That was definitely unnecessary. It was entirely unnecessary because they were already in talks with the negotiators about releasing more adults, about Koresh giving himself up. It was an act of aggression that didn't need to be done. They were just being petty is what it is. Yeah. Literally, there is no reason that that needed to happen. It felt very childish. I saw that and I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. They also then begin blaring music, incredibly loud sounds, shining spotlights into the windows of the compound. They're turning off the power. And it's all the HRT making these decisions without contacting negotiators or anything else that's wild the negotiator that is on the documentary calls this the paradox of power which i really love that terminology but essentially the more you push and assert your dominance over people the more they're going to push back the negotiators have been doing all this work up until this point and it just feels like hrt is going no we're going to do it our own way and it's just bombarding them I mean, I don't want to say that the HR team or all HRT teams are like this, 
but it just seemed very much like testosterone filled. Well, and it's three separate agencies all working on yeah. this one case, and they all want to be the big dick in the locker room. Yeah. It's like, okay, guys, can you stop swinging that shit around and let's figure Maybe out Maybe if you actually work together. With all three together. of you together. Yeah, thank you. So at this point, there are two negotiators that are working very closely with Koresh. There is one from the FBI and there's one from the ATF. On March 25th, the FBI negotiator was sent out of country. Oh, geez. This was something that had been on the schedule for a while. However, they insisted that he leave. They would not let him stay and continue the negotiations. That's so Because horrible. they knew the negotiations weren't going to go anywhere and they wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do in this situation. I don't think necessarily the negotiations weren't going anywhere. I think it was just going too slowly for. Yeah, because at this point, we're at March 25th. This whole thing. It's almost a month later. February 28th. Yeah, it's almost a month later. This is a whole thing going down at this point, and it just continues to go. So remember I said earlier they were not allowing any third party members to enter the compound. Yeah. The first third-party member that they ended up allowing being introduced was Dan Cogdale, who was Koresh's lawyer. Which is interesting choice. Interesting choice. <laughs> it was very much like to the agents felt like a slap in the face to allow a third-party member in. But to the Branch Davidian members, it felt like a little glimmer of hope of, oh, they're sending in a lawyer we might actually get out of this. Yeah. We might be able to live another day. Again, this documentary was really good. I did a lot of my research for it on it. Oh, yeah. But Cogdale said when he walked into the compound for the first time, it smelled like sewage and garlic. Ew. Because they were using holistic medicine to try to heal Koresh's bullet wound. Oh, God. From the initial ATF raid. I can't imagine the amount of infection that's building up. Koresh is writing his own manuscript. And he is saying that once it is finished, he will release it and then he will hand himself over. Which, okay, I guess I... And mind you, all of this is things he's been toiling to do by God. He is saying he's divinely driven to do all of these things because God told him so. I think it's just another stall tactic. This is starting to cause a group of people to gather in the Waco, Texas area. Yeah. Do you want to know who one of the people that is there and was recorded being there was? Who? The future Oklahoma City bomber. How macabre. That doesn't surprise me. Weird, though. So we are getting closer and closer to the date of the siege that we all know. And they are just seeing that negotiations are not working. Koresh is working on this manuscript that may or may not come out. And then he may or may not turn himself over at that time. I mean, at this point, he may or may not live. Exactly. So these agencies then go to Jeanette Reno, who had actually just become 
attorney general. Oh, wow. And they were going in to get her permission to use tear gas in the situation in Waco. Oh, geez. And she had permitted it because this whole thing. So this whole situation lasted 55 days. Right. This whole thing was costing $1 million a day. Jeez. To have all the equipment out there, to have all the agents out there, to have everything that they had out there. It was costing $1 million a day in 1990. That's a lot. They get her approval and then they essentially call the compound and let them know, hey, we're going to be pumping tear gas in, but it's not an assault. They keep saying this is not an assault. We're just going to pump tear gas in. Then what which, else is it? Which is like, what? You're going to take tanks, armored vehicles, and collide them into the wall and pump in gas? So if it's not an attack, what would you call it? I don't know. I. It's weird. So on the night of April 19th, a siege began. And this is that whole tear gas thing. Yeah. And mothers and children, 13 years and younger, as well as two pregnant women, went to go take shelter in a former concrete vault in the basement. These armored vehicles smashed the building and began to pump tear gas into the walls and began to pump in this tear gas. So while they did have gas masks, they didn't have children-sized ones. However, everyone in that vault died. Oh, Women and children and two pregnant women. Jeez. Because of gas that was pumped into the basement. Wow. A few hours later, a tank pushed into the second-story window and began to spray more tear gas. And it was during this time that a fire was started. Here's where I'm going to go into my rant. Okay. They had used tear gas on these people. Yes, they did. A tear gas, which is prohibited by the Geneva Convention. Yes, it is. Literally, I have it here. The Geneva Jazz protocol prohibits the use of all asphyxiating and poisonous gases so this gas is not allowed in times of war against your enemy however because this is not considered war and considered a domestic affair the geneva convention protocol does not apply here and they can use whatever they want on their own citizens that's insane it's fucking ridiculous there is also the fact that this gas is highly flammable oh yeah highly flammable yeah so at this point three different fires start in the compound because of the gas that is being pumped in no one knows how these fires are started on the documentary they're like they started it they started it of course everyone's much back and forth i'm like can we just agree that there was a fire that started after that gas was pumped in what it doesn't matter who started it let's be honest it doesn't matter who started it yeah that gas should not have been pumped in in the first place and then there wouldn't have been a fucking issue i mean to be quite honest it could have happened all on its own like friction 
Yeah, friction from the tanks busting through. Um, I mean, if if they had any type of like gas or anything on the compound that wasn't the tear gas. Well, and my thing is they have all of those explosives, all of those firearms exactly. on the compound. And they had just had this huge, they've had back and forth gunfire. Yeah, I was about to so say, isn't gunfire going through? Any little thing could set this off. It is yeah. such a flammable substance that any little thing, any little spark, any little ignition is going to light a fire. Yeah, because isn't th- there, there's gunfire also at this point too, right? Like, Yeah, they're going back and forth. That's my biggest thing. I don't understand how they can be like, no, it was one or the other. It's like there was gunfire everywhere. So there was a report that came out in that was published in 2000 called the Danforth Final Report. In that report, it states that 20 Davidians died from gunshot wounds that may have either been self-afflicted or mercy killings. This included David Koresh and prominent member Steve Schneider. 35 members, 21 children, and 14 adults were left at the residence during the siege. Nine members survived the fire. 11 members were tried in 1994 on various charges, including conspiracy, murder, weapons charges. Three defendants were found not guilty on all charges, whilst all were cleared of conspiracy and murder accusations. Seven were found guilty of aiding and abetting a volunt- Seven were found guilty of aiding and abetting in a voluntary manslaughter of federal officials and seven of arms violations. Eight defendants were sentenced between five and 40 years, which sounds like a big that's a big yeah, difference that is, of time. That's a big discrepancy there. I read that and I was like, five to 40? What <laughs> the fuck? But all had been released by mid-2000s. The, oh, okay. So they are all out now. Okay. This Danforth final report also essentially said that none of the agencies involved were responsible for any of the deaths. Okay. And that they did not start fire and that all of the responsibility falls on Koresh. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think both parties were at fault here. It very much feels like this report was trying to cover up everything that happened. Just like, oh, no, they did nothing wrong. They are the government. It's like, no, 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 no. We should not have gone in so hot and heavy to begin with. Yeah. Everything right off the bat. I'm not saying that. I don't know the reason, the full reason why they were like, we need to go in with all the tactical gear. They might have had a good reason. But there's no reason to initially start out like that. There's also no reason that they should have started shooting in the first place on either side. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like. You kind of have to be on the fence about it because there is a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B going on. Yeah. Like, and it's a domino effect of things of like, oh, you did this, so I'm going to do this. And I did this, so you're going to do this of picking back and forth at each other. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to get like 
all the answers that we ever want out of this uh, particular case because, you know, like you said, we may never know who did fire first. It Honestly, could you imagine if accidentally someone, either a Branch Davidian or accidentally a U.S. official, shot their firearm on accident on accident like not even pointed at in any direction just complete accident yeah i just think that at that point tensions were so high on both sides because again it is a very big open area so they see these people coming it's not like all of a sudden, oh, hey, we're here. They see them coming. They watch them walk up. They are witnessing everything that is happening, the Branch Davidian members, on the ground. And obviously the ATF agents going in are hyped. They know what's going on. They know they have to go in and be quick. Yeah. So it's this heightened experience and energy on both sides that just leads to an explosion of some kind. And it doesn't really matter what side it fell on for the initial. It's just the fact that it happened. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's also a possibility that there wasn't even an initial gunshot. It could have been just boom, everyone at once. There's that, but I mean, like, that initial quote-unquote gunshot that they heard that caused everyone to start firing, if you think about it, it could have been a car backfiring. It could have been so many it other It could have things. been so many other things that it it wasn't actually a gunshot, and just, like you said, everybody's senses were heightened, and you just that you initial, yeah, that initial sound just triggered everything. So, of course the U.S. government is going to think that the Davidians shot first. And then the Davidians are going to think that the government shot first. Yeah, it's just a weird balance of things. It's a whole snowball effect, honestly. Just one thing after another after another. But I mean, in the end, Koresh's prophecy was correct. They did go down in a blaze of fire. At the hands of the federal government. He wasn't wrong. So the documentary, one of the negotiators posed a really good question that I really like. And I'm going to ask you, was Koresh a narcissist or did he actually believe himself to be the second coming of Christ? And therefore, in his mind, fully justified everything that he was doing. I don't know. That's a hard one because part of me wants to say that it was just the narcissist in him. But after like his quote unquote prophecy, I don't know, like you, he might have completely believed in that delusion. I think he used, I think he found something as a very young child that he was good at, which was religion. Because, again, he, I feel like he gets a bad rap that he is an unintelligent man, which he is not. No. He is a highly intelligent man. Again, he memorized the entire New Testament by the time he was 12. Yeah. 
He was giving sermons, all this stuff. He's a highly intelligent man. And I think he was able to play that off to a lot of people because he was kind of a hick. He's a he's a southern boy. You can play that off really well. And I think he used religion as a way to get people in on his side. And take them in. But then I think by the end, he believed his own delusion. If that makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. If I tell you for long enough that the sky is red. Eventually you're going to believe it. And so am I. Yeah, eventually we're just going to go, yep, that's the big red sky up there. Yeah. And that's going to be how it is. So I think eventually... Him saying enough times to his followers and his followers believing in him so greatly that he is the second coming of Christ that he genuinely believed that about himself. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, so to this day, there are active Branch Davidian members. And that was the end of our two-parter on the Branch Davidians and David Koresh. Wow, that was a lot, but thank you for that. You're welcome. Solid, solid choice. Thank you. It's, I don't want to say favorite cult, but it's, it's one that you've been interested in for a while. It was the cult that got me interested in cults and the psychology and psychopathy that goes into a cult leader which we will get into more cults later cults are one of my favorite topics to talk about because to be a cult leader is a very specific mind frame and you tend to see the same things come up over and over again with them as you do for serial killers they tend to have similar lifestyles or similar MOs or similar things that happened to them growing up that build them into what they become. Yeah, becoming a cult leader or a serial killer. But yeah. we'll get more into that when we get into some other serial killers and cult leaders. Look forward to that. All right. So are we ready for my creepy fact? No, but you're going to tell me anyway. Yes, I am. That was a saucy new wave. Saucy? Yeah. I don't know why. It just kind of reminded me of like a saucy, jazzy type of feeling right there. Mm, I like it. I shouldn't have said it. Now I fed Mm, your ego. Saucy. (laughs) All right. You ready? No. Well, too bad. So currently presently as we sit here this current moment yes that we are in yeah okay you know your bones stop what you know the i'm aware of what they are yes yeah i don't know all their names but i'm aware of them (laughs) your skeleton Mm -hmm. um technically okay technically right now stop okay at this very moment your bones Uh uh-huh are wet You're welcome. No, thank you. No, thank you. You're absolutely welcome. All right. And if you liked whatever the fuck this was, be sure to head over to our Instagram. Our Instagram is WTF is that podcast. 
Over there, you will find our nifty little link tree that has all of our cute little ghosties that will take you to things like our Spotify. Once you head over to our Spotify, be sure to leave a like and review because that lets the Spotify gods know that you really like what we're doing and you think other people like what we're doing too. While you're over there, just go ahead and like hit that little share button and send them to a couple of friends and be like, hey, check out these people. Best way to help us grow. If you would like to help us grow financially, you can head over to our Patreon. Over at our Patreon, you can join members like our member Melanie, who is at our Mystic Mentor level. All of our different levels have fun, special little things that you can get there, so be sure to check it out. Finally, over on our link tree, you can also find the link to our campfire stories. While we do not have a campfire story set up for right now, we are always taking submissions so that way we can put them in at later episodes. And with that, don't start a cult. And if you do, just like keep your head down, bud. Bye. 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 Bye.